in the lobby. Let's welcome Pastor Mark here today. I'll stop there. <laughs> Admit it, I look like Paul Schaefer on The Tonight Show, right? <laughs> oh, man. I'm afraid somebody's going to drag me up a flagpole. All right, let's all stand together. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's stand together and recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us as we come up to this 4th of July week. Excited about some vacation time. It'll be a lot of fun with family and friends. We're so glad that you're here. Has it been warm enough for you? Holy moly. It's been something else. But when it gets really hot and you think you can't take it anymore, just remember January. <laughs> anyway, we have a special guest with us today, Pastor Dale Oquist from Fresno, California, People's Church. Great church out there. Big, beautiful Yo Mama church. And if you ever get a chance to go out there, check those guys out. But anyway, he is here. He came to town to uh, do a wedding uh, this weekend, and they did it outside. He said it was a very short service. It's like 20 minutes. I was telling him earlier that I did one once. It was like a, a, an eight-minute service outside because we saw these rain thunderclouds just pouring towards us. It was quick. You want him? You want her? All right, let's get out of here, you know. But uh, uh, so anyway, we're glad that he's here. I've known Dale for quite some time, 15 years ago when I first started doing the Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage conference that I do today. Uh, his was one of the first churches I went to. Pastor Arnie had uh, called him and talked him into it. I don't know what he threatened you or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, and so it was early on, you know, a lot of rough edges and stuff, but uh, him and several other churches that he knew uh, were the first ones to encourage me in doing what I do today. It's always good to see him. Would you please give a warm welcome to Pastor Dale Oquist. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. How are you? Good. Uh, this is not the library nor the decaf service, right? <laughs> you can talk to me. And uh, great to see you. I, it's always great to be here uh, under Pastor Jacobson. I was, I've been, I was here numerous times for a while. It was every year I'd come and, and speak here and now a number of times under Pastor Mark. And I, it was, I was reminded of his impact even in Fresno, California this past Sunday as I was, as I was looking down and in the, on the right-hand side of our auditorium, up, up toward the front was a young couple. And uh, the last marriage conference we had was Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage with 
Mark Gunger. And th- at that point in time, their marriage was uh, uh, on the rocks, on disaster mode. Who knew what was going to happen? And it was almost as though they were saying, God, we're going to give you one last shot. And so they came to that conference, and God revolutionized their lives through, through Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage with Mark Gunger, and it was, it was amazing And that they're holding their little baby, you know, right there that morning, and so God does great things, uh, and so thank you for allowing him to do what he does to change lives, because who knew, you know, God could use a star-spangled Puerto Rican, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> And great to be you, but I, I honor him and thank him. Uh, thank you, Mark, for letting me share this, these moments with, with these great people. Now, I'm from Wisconsin. I live in California and would be willing to trade governors with you. <laughs> and I'm from California, but grew up here in Wisconsin. I grew up, uh, I was born and raised in Milwaukee, a suburb of Milwaukee, Brookfield. And uh, that's where we grew up. Uh, uh, I am... Uh, our dog's name is Packer, if that gives you any idea of uh, the, our hearts and our lives and our devotion. But I, as we were coming back here, and uh, my parents live in Wapaka today. They moved from uh, Milwaukee to Wapaka to live there, and, and so we're all here. And I was, I was reminded again how, how nice we Wisconsinites are. You know, you're just... You don't, you may be a jerk, but you're nice, right? <laughs> really nice. If you're, if you're driving in the, and you come up upon the, you know, the summer of construction, road construction here in Wisconsin, and there's someone on your left side, and, and, they, and they run out of their lane, and they have to, they cut, you let them in, you cut over. What do you see the moment they do that? What do you see? A wave. We don't get waves in California. We just don't get them. We don't get, you're, you're at a, you're at a, we're at Piggly Wiggly. We're at Piggly Wiggly in Wapaka and we're sitting, we're going through and, uh, and, and we don't even, we don't even know where, and there's people, they're not even Piggly Wiggly employees. Hey, can I help you do, can I help you with something? I mean, they're at, you open the door, you open the door, you know, and Wisconsin people, this is what they do. You're walking through a door and even with your peripheral vision, you notice if there's people behind you and if there's people behind you, what do you do? Thank you very much. Yes. I'm not going to mention the city because that, would, that may put someone in jail, but I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you a story. This is how nice you are. And we are, I'm, I'm Wisconsin, so I'm nice too. I need to send, this is in northern Wisconsin, I need to send a package to a friend of mine, but he only has a P.O. box. So from California, I call to the, his post office of their small little town in Wisconsin. Call to the post office. First of all, the lady, I don't know what her name was. Let's just call her Darlene. Darlene answers the phone. No, I really don't know her name. So it's not Darlene, so don't be calling and the feds on her. Anyway, so she, she's the lady. This is, these are federal employees. You know, U.S. Post Office federal employees. She answers the phone. Can you hold? All she says is, can you hold? I go, yes. And so, I'm, and so she doesn't put me on hold. She just puts the phone down. 
So I can hear everything happening, and I'm thinking she's just taking care of someone across the counter plane, but no, she's finishing up a conversation about her grandkids with somebody. <laughs> so then she picks up the phone, how can I help you? And I tell, them the, I tell her my situation. I'm here in California, I have friends there, and I, I said the names, oh yeah, I know them, and so uh, I need their physical address. I don't know their physical address. I can't call them because I'm trying to surprise them with this gift. Can I get their physical address so I can send a package? To oh, she says, oh no, I can't, get that's illegal. <laughs> that's illegal. And then we talk for a few more minutes, and then she says, but if you ask me as a friend, <laughs> I said, Darlene, of course we're friends. How long have we been friends? And so she, that's why I can't tell you where this is at, because you'd send her to jail. But anyway, because, so she gave me the physical address, and it was wonderful because we're friends now. So call her up and tell, you know, send her a birthday card every year. So anyway, so you're nice people, and so it's so great to be here. And so I, what I want to do today is I want to share, I, 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 would normally, I would normally share a passage of Scripture and really break into this passage of Scripture, but today I want to take a thought from a passage. I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a simple thought and a huge challenge. Okay? Are you ready for that? This is not the library nor the decaf service. Are you ready for that? Okay, thank you very much. All right, so why don't you turn your Bibles to Luke, Luke chapter 12, or if you are on the screens, I suppose, Luke chapter 12, verse 48. If you've been around the Bible and if you've been around church, this is going to be a familiar verse to you. If you haven't, even the principle of the verse is going to make sense to you. So... And again, welcome those watching, even online right now. Great to have you with us. Uh, I'm Dale. I don't get to speak here most weeks. Mark does. All right. Luke chapter 12. This is Jesus speaking. Your Bible, if you have a red letter edition, these are red letters because Jesus is saying this. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Are you there? Say, I'm there. Is it going to be on the screen? Okay, yeah, there it is. All right, so if you can read on the screen, say I can read on. All right, so here we go. Verse 48. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with a few blows. What he's talking about is those that know better are treated more severely than those who don't know better, which is the first phrase of this verse. Then here's the phrase that, again, even if maybe even if you haven't been around church a whole lot, this phrase makes sense. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Some of your Bibles say it this way. To whom much is given, what's the, what's the last phrase? Much. much will be required. So I want to take from that, because Jesus has this idea. There's this graciousness about Jesus where the people, people that have a greater understanding, a greater knowledge, maybe even of Scripture and of who he is, there will be more that will be expected of them than, say, those that didn't grow up in a home. Maybe they did, you didn't grow up in a religious home or you, you grew up as a child maybe going to church but not understanding Scripture a whole lot. Then there, are, there is this 
There's God kind of treats us on this grade, at least at the beginning, because, on this curve, I mean, because of the fact that he, it, it's, if you should know better, you should know better. If you don't know, then, then you, have, you, have, you have a grace that is given to you that is not otherwise given. And so that applies to us individually, every one of us. But now I want to take this and use this phrase and apply it to us all on an equal level. So this, what I'm about to talk to you about, this simple point and a huge challenge is, is going to apply to each and every one of us equally because we're all residents of, unless you're not, residents of these United States of America because that's what I want to talk to you about. Because with greater privilege comes greater responsibility. And it's been interesting to watch. Even I'm old enough to know that in the late 80s when, when Ronald Reagan stood at the Berlin Wall and he said, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And in the midst of that momentous event in history, that there was an opening of democracies of the world, and uh, it, it's ama it was amazing to watch. And he, but yet today, only 30% of the countries of the world enjoy a governmental structure like you and I enjoy today, because the experience of life that we have in our nation, no matter where you live, even though, even as jacked up as California is, I'm telling you, we're crazy. <laughs> even in that, in that light, we all enjoy political liberty and economic opportunity as a nation. And that is not normal. And to those ideas, even as residents of this nation, I say to whom much is given, much will be required. Because to have political liberty and economic opportunity, political liberty and economic opportunity is very rare. Most people of the world do not understand how we live with political liberty and economic opportunity at the same time. When God looks down on this world, do you know, do you know who he mainly sees? Do you know who he, who he sees most of? Chinese people. He sees Chinese because... China is the largest nation in the world today, one, over 1.4, approaching 1.5 billion people. You can think that English is the most spoken language in the world, but it's not. It's Mandarin Chinese. English may be an international language, but it's not the most spoken language. The Asian world covers and dominates two-thirds of the globe on which we spin this moment. China, he looks down, God looks down and sees mostly Chinese people because that's, that's the largest nation in the world and yet, they, and they have the longest continuing history of any nation on the planet, and yet they have not experienced one day of political liberty nor one day of economic opportunity. Not one day of it. All they've experienced is one despotic ruler after another. That's all they've experienced. That's China. The second largest nation in the world is what? India. 
over 1.3 billion people in India. You can go, you, and, and although it's one nation, it's very different. If you've ever been to India, understand India, you know that if you're from the south, you speak Malayalam, and Malayalam is nothing like Hindi in the north. There, is, there, is, there are a bunch of hundreds of maharajas and hundreds of little uh, regional leaders. You may be able to use the same currency, but you can't understand, you can't travel the nation and understand what everyone else is saying even. Here in America, right, we, if I start talking like this, it may be weird to you and you maybe go, he doesn't have everything upstairs, but you can still understand me, right? Right? Amen? But that's not India. They, they, they not only, they don't have just different dialects, they have different languages, hundreds of them. And they're not unified. They've had these, they're, like I said, these regional maharajas. And it's a divided country in that way. And they, they have never had economic opportunity and they have only had maybe a few dozen years of political liberty in their long history. What we enjoy is not rare and to whom much is given, much will be required. That's a simple point. Because third on the list of the largest nations of the world, and it's quite a jump from 1.3 down to, down to 327 million people or so, it's the United States of America, the longest running democracy on the planet. For 242 years, every day of our existence, we have experienced political liberty and economic opportunity, and the world drug it comes to us, right? That is who we are. It's an amazing, amazing country. We have a history that, has, that, is, that is filled and stocked with events where we were against all odds going to survive, and yet we have. It's amazing, our history. And yet we are hated by countries of the world, particularly in the Middle East, because the West is now infecting and polluting the mindset of the youth all around the world, including those that are Muslim, of the Muslim faith. It's amazing their hatred for us and the clarity of their hatred for us because they think we're nothing but uh, we're, we're all into consumerism and we are an atheistic country in their mindset. And in many ways, they're right. But they have waged a war, a holy war, against us because of our impact on the mindset and the youth and the cultures of our world today. It's interesting what, when George W. Bush was in office, and he gave a speech in Istanbul, Turkey, and he was talking about democracy and how we're viewed in the world. And I want you to hear it because he at least understood this mindset, and he said this. In some parts of the world, especially in the Middle East, there is a wariness toward democracy, often based on misunderstanding. Some people in Muslim cultures identify democracy with the worst of Western popular culture, and they want no part of it. 
And I assure them when I speak about the blessings of liberty, coarse videos and crass consumerism are not what I have in mind. There is nothing incompatible between democratic values and high standards of decency. I continue to quote, for the sake of their families and their culture, citizens of a free society have every right to strive peacefully for a moral society. Democratic values, he went on to say, do not require citizens to abandon their faith. No democracy can allow religious people to impose their own view of perfection on others because this invites cruelty and arrogance that are foreign to every faith. And all people in a democracy have the right to their own religious beliefs. But all democracies are made stronger when religious people teach and demonstrate upright conduct. Amen. Family commitment, respect for the law, compassion for the weak. Democratic society should welcome, not fear, the participation of the faithful. In addition, one few more sentences. In addition, democracy does not involve automatic agreement with other democracies. Free governments have a reputation for independence, which Turkey certainly has earned. This is the way democracy works. We deal honestly with each other, we make our own decisions, and yet in the end, the disagreements of the moment are far outweighed by the ideals that we share." End quote. Again, simple point, simple point. Our freedoms, the political freedom and the economic opportunity that we experience on a daily basis are not normal to the rest of the world because we are free to travel. We are free to build. We are free to voice our enthusiasm. We are free to get excited about something and share it. Is that not true? Here's the challenge, though. So what are we waiting for? We have the freedom and the ability to be nice people. Let's continue to be nice people, right? Yeah. Our freedoms and our opportunities are like a candle in a dark room in the light of the history of the world. In Indonesia, a permit, is, a permit is required if you just want to have a large gathering like this and speak out. In Egypt, a business or even a church has to have to get a permit from the government. They have to check with and consult with the government just to be able to paint a wall or to remodel something. I don't know about your ancestors, but I can speak about my ancestors, and as wonderful and virtuous as they have been and as mine are, most were poor and peasants. And they came to America from Sweden. They came through Ellis Island, and we tracked them that they went all the way from Ellis Island, and they took the train as far as they could to the west, and they landed in Spokane, Washington. And because of an illness of of my grandmother, my grandmother Oakwood's father, they moved back to Irma, Wisconsin and had the farm there and that's where our family settled. But they saw what, what many millions have seen at Ellis Island, the Statue of Liberty, and according to the Statue of Liberty, we are the refuse of the world. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Give me the refuse from distant shores. France wrote that. 
Isn't that strange? And yet it's true that we are the garbage of the world. We are the boat people of Southeast Asia. We're the Irish of the potato famine, the Jews from Tsarist Russia, and we have built the greatest nation the world has ever seen. Amazing. The challenge, the huge challenge is, is in the form of a question, which would be worse? Which would be worse? To not have the freedoms that we enjoy today or to have our freedoms and to not take advantage of them? Which would be worse? Which would be worse, to be free to do whatever you want or to have a boot on your neck as you lie on the ground restricting you from doing what you, are, what you would be, what you would, what you'd want to do? Which would be worse? It's great to be free, is it not, to have political liberty and economic freedom. It's free. It's great to be free to worship, to be, to be free to pray, to free to read your Bible and memorize your Bible, free to teach your children the Bible. In some nations of our world, you have to be 21 before you can even attend a church, and it's illegal to share your faith. We have these freedoms to share our faith, to pray in public. If you want to, you'll probably get mocked. You can preach on a street corner, but you will not get arrested. Why? Because of the freedoms that we enjoy. You have the freedom to start a business. You have the freedom to build. You have the freedom to travel. You have the freedom to buy. You have the freedom to sell. But here again is the challenge. What difference does it make unless we share our faith, unless we build, unless we travel, until, unless we teach our children the Bible? You, it might as well be illegal for you to teach your children the Bible if you don't do it. So I have a friend who is, uh, he is... Now, today, he is the TV analyst for the Detroit Tigers. He was previously with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So he was on television doing the analyst portion. And so I remember the first time that I had gotten with him. And so, uh, by the way, at the end of the year, the Brewers, play the, the Brewers play the Tigers in Milwaukee. I will be there because of Rod, because I, right, so the first time, here's what he did. So I get there to the ballpark, I get there early, and we, we are, I mean, we're, I'm on the field with them, I'm, uh, this is, it's amazing, in the locker rooms, it's amazing. And then, the, it was game time, and Rod handed me, he sat me in, he got me a seat in the stands, uh, in the stadium, and then he gave me a, a, a pass, a media pass, so I can go up in the media booth. And so during the game, I'm thinking he's going to come down and get me. Rod's going to come down and get me, you know, maybe between innings. So it's the first and second inning, and I look up, and I can see him doing his thing up in the media broadcast booth, but he's, and in between innings, are you going to come down and get me? So I'm looking, wait, is he, I'm ready to go, you know, third inning, fourth inning, fifth inning, what's going on? Maybe, you know, seventh inning stretch, maybe he'll come and get me, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth. The game's over. So I get with Rod after the game, and I go, Rod, what, what happened? Why, why, didn't, why didn't you come and get me to be in the, I wanted to see the media booth. He goes, Dale, I gave you a pass. 
Hey, I, what else do I need to do? That pass allows you at any time you want to go in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out of the media booth, however much you want. Why didn't you come up? I was, I was waiting for you. What good is the pass unless you use, what, what you, what is the, what is the, how, what is the use of an unlocked door unless we open it? And the door of our nation, it's closing ever so slightly because if history repeats itself, our light of freedom will one day be extinguished. But it's still unlocked. You still have a media pass to go in and out and in and out and in and out as many times as you want. But what good is the pass unless you use it? That never happened again, by the way. <laughs> right? I mean, and yeah, it works. It works. The pass works. It's amazing. Remember Houdini? Wasn't he from Appleton? Houdini? They played a trick on Houdini that he said, I could get out of any room, anything else. And so they put him in a room and he, for hours, labored to try to unlock the door of the room. And then finally he got exasperated, he got exasperated, he got exasperated because he couldn't, he couldn't unlock it. And then only to find out that they had played a trick on him and he leaned against the door and it opened up because it was never locked in the first place. The door is still open. It's still unlocked. But what good is an unlocked door unless we walk through it? There, may be, there might as well be a law against you giving and tithing if you never do it. There might as well be a law against your involvement in church if you never do it. There might as well be a law against you even giving your life to Jesus today if you don't take advantage of the opportunity. There may be familiar ramifications, but there won't be, there won't be any other ramifications. There won't be political. There won't be, there won't be economic ramifications if you, can, if you even give your life to Jesus today because you can do that. It was Napoleon. It was Napoleon that said, ability means nothing without opportunity. Ability means nothing without opportunity. We can sit on the back of our laps and complain about how bad things are, or we can rise up and make a difference. Aristotle said this, the future is like a wild animal. If you just sit there, the future will devour you. And I say to, to all of us today, including myself, to whom much is given, political liberty, economic opportunity. To whom much is given, much will be required. We not only have a right to live out our faith, we have a responsibility. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that 
the door of our freedoms is still unlocked and open. And there's a lot of things that are taking place in the political realm that we like or maybe dislike. Regardless, we are a nation that offers political liberty and economic opportunity. And because of that freedom, we need to take advantage. So people, Father, I thank you today, are free to give their lives to you. They're free to express themselves on social media. We're free to travel, to have faith, to get involved, to be passionate. And there may as well be a law against it if we don't take advantage of it. May we, as your people, take advantage of all that has been given to us because to whom much is given, much will be required. And we pray these things for the glory and the reputation of Jesus Christ. Amen.